Are you a true crime advocate? Are you passionate about uncovering the truth and bringing justice to victims? Do you love the paranormal and spooky tales? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you won't want to miss the True Crime and Paranormal Podcast Festival in Austin, Texas, this August from the 25th to the 27th. This festival features panel discussions, workshops, and live podcasts focusing on ethics and advocacy in the true crime sphere. Get your tickets now at truecrimepodcastfestival.com and join us in Austin for an unforgettable experience. Was really different. That was different. <laughs> it's a little different. You're like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> like answering a phone. Yeah. Hello. Yellow. That's all I say. Yeah. Or yeah. I like to say hello. I hate, you know what I fucking hate? People go, talk to me. Like, fuck you. Like, that's what I'm going to do. Like, you yeah. know I'm going to do Talk that. to me. I hate that shit. Yeah. Like, are you fucking James Bond? Yeah. I just want to <laughs> sometimes just say, uh, go for co. Go for co. Welcome back to another episode of Diagnosing a Killer. I'm Koel. And I'm Kenna. Lovely to see you all. Lovely to see you all. You guys all look so beautiful today. <sighs> yeah, keep doing what you're doing because you look fantastic. Honestly. Yeah. Goals. Mm-hmm. Everyone should just be, like, super self-caring now. Yeah. Because about our last couple episodes have just been all about, like, the feels. I know. Yeah, really about the feels. I it's... fucking cried last what, last week or earlier this week. Oh, I cried today. I don't... <laughs> uh, I cry every day, but on the podcast, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, it was a little in- intensive. Yeah, for sure. I think it's just like the weirdness and the weather for me. Seriously. Some things are a little out of my, I guess, normal routine and just adjusting. Yeah, honestly. Same. I was listening to a different podcast earlier today and it's like a most their most recent episode. And they said that it's like off and on, like still snowing. They're in like Tennessee, I think. Mm-hmm. And they're like, God, like the weather's got so nice and then it fucking snowed today. Like, what is that about? <laughs> like, I couldn't imagine that because... I mean, it's, like, rare if we see snow once a year. Sure, yeah. And it's not even fucking snow. It's, no. like, sleet. And then, it like, if it sticks, it's very rare. It's been cold the last, like, two days. I love the cold, though. I obsess I mean, over the cold. I want the cold to be here for forever. And it's, like, late March, which is kind of unusual. I'm a big fan of the cold, too, but it's, it hasn't really... I mean, it's, like, 60 degrees. It's not, like, actually cold. Like, other people are like, yeah. damn, it's, like... You think no, that's cold? it's... It's not like it's it's not like it's in the 30s. It was the 1930s. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Well, what do we got going on? You guys obviously heard about the True Crime Paranormal Podcast Festival happening in August. We are going to be there as hosts. We're super excited to meet everybody and maybe have a panel, maybe question mark. We don't know, not sure yet. Not sure. We're definitely going to have merch and at our booth if you sign up for our Patreon, you might get some free goodies. Ooh, yeah. I forgot yes. about that. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Patreon, we do have those tiers set up for everybody. Just as a reminder, a $20 Patreon donation gets you ad-free episodes as well as all of the goodies. And then $10 and $5, you also get goodies as well. And email us at diagnosingakiller at gmail.com. If you don't already have us on social media, we are at Diagnosing a Killer everywhere with the exception of Twitter. That is at Killer Diagnosis. And of course, we have the website, diagnosingakiller.com. And you can find all that information on our website at diagnosingakiller.com. Yeah, it's looking really good. Thanks. I'm excited yeah. about that. We need to put an About Us tab on there, but... Because <laughs> you guys always want to know about us. Yeah, because it's all about us. Of course. <laughs> there is a resource tab on there where you will find the National Suicide Lifeline, Trevor Project, Veterans, Reach Out, Outreach Program, and things of the like. So, yes. Yeah. But of course, if you have an emergency, you've dial 911 yeah of course and just lastly i just want to say shout out to all the podcasts that have reached out to us and told us that they like what we're doing that's also like really cool not only coming from our listeners but also coming from other creators i think that kind of makes me want to like pat myself on the back and i've had a couple podcasters reach out and say that the website looks really great cool yeah well that's exciting yeah makes me feel good (laughs) just a little feel good feel good uh what day is it (laughs) feel good wednesday Wednesday. (laughs) feel good friday Oh yeah, um, go go for it, goathead. Today we are going to be talking about Mark David Chapman. Okay. Do you know who it is? It sounds familiar. Okay, you will. You'll oh, know. Oh, okay. 
Content warning, this episode depicts scenes of domestic violence, drug use, and suicide. Although these topics are described in a sensitive manner, the subject matter may still be disturbing. If this episode isn't for you, we encourage you to find another one of our episodes. Remember that your mental health is important to us, and we love you. We love you. Bye. Bye. That was a really cool, like... Go ahead. Mark David <laughs> Chapman was born. <laughs> I lost my thought completely. <laughs> I was just going to say, like, we said bye at the same time. Like, oh. what's it called? Like, rehearsed? Not rehearsed. Usually we look at each other when it happens. Yeah. And so we know when he, just but based off of, you know, reading each other's lips, because you can't really hear other True. than in the headset. Yeah. But we usually look at each other and then we usually say, love you, bye. Mm-hmm. But that time I had my head down and you were, you were looking well, over there. So just cross-eyed for a second. I think we're just used to it. Mark David Chapman was born May 10th, 1955 in Fort Worth, Texas. Fort Worth. Fort Worth. <laughs> oh, did we ever say on the podcast, like, what that was about? Because remember was... I asked, I said, what, what are you saying it like that for? And you go, ask mom. I asked mom. Uh-huh. Did I tell you? No. She said that it was, like, this drunk asshole, like, when they were on vacation one time. And, like, he kept, like, he was, like, this big, like, burly guy that was, like, trying to show off. And he kept saying, I'm from Fort Worth. Like, <laughs> I thought it was uh, mom's friend's brother. Oh, I don't know who it was. Yeah, Either way, he was, was clearly like a brother. showboat, and he was like, <laughs> we're like we're you're we're making in. us look bad. <laughs> Shut, Shut up. up. <laughs> so Mark David Chapman was eventually the eldest of two kids. His parents were David Curtis Chapman, and his mother was Diane Elizabeth Peace. Peace? Like a peace sign? Well, it's P-E-A-S-E, so it's like peace. peace. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Give peace a chance. I just find that ironic later. Oh. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) there was no peace. And then there was no peace. (laughs) After the couple had Mark, the small family moved to Atlanta, Georgia. Mark's father was in the Air Force. He was actually an Air Force staff sergeant, and his mother was a nurse. Mark's father was described as a shy and timid man, but he had been known to have outbursts of anger and rage when Mm. becoming stressed, uh, kind of like an attempt to actually express emotion. So he was one of those guys where it would just build up for forever and then explode because mm. he didn't know how to, you know. Yeah, no, that shows someone that was probably not allowed to express feeling in their childhood. Sure. These instances were seemingly random and there was usually no warning signs for these kinds of aggressive outbursts. Ooh, that's kind of scary. Right? Yeah. Could you imagine living like that? It's like, like you don't really know. Yeah. You don't know what it's gonna when it's going to be triggered. Ooh, I feel like they're probably, like, walking on eggshells, like, all the right? time. Ugh. Just stay uh, under the threat of, like, explosion at any time. Yeah. Ooh. His mother was described as a sort of head in the clouds, aloof, and often moody person who rarely was warm towards her children. Okay, like, just with those comments about both of them, like, I feel like they both have mental illness. Sure. Like, based on their... Yeah. Maybe, maybe not the dad. Maybe he just had, like, a stunted... Emotional growth, but the mom, like that, yeah. sounds like dissociative to me. Right, Exactly. I was going to say that. Dissociative disorder of some kind. While Mark was growing up... Wow! <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> while Mark was growing up, his father would become physically abusive towards his mother. Oh. It's not entirely clear whether or not his father was abusive before Mark was born. So they might have had domestic violence situations before Mark was born. Again, he's the eldest. I just... It didn't describe whether or not there was a family history of that before Diane had children. So do you think that maybe he might have been abusive while she was pregnant with Mark? So not confirmed. Okay. However, it wasn't really noted anywhere that David was physically abusive to the children. But Mark does remember hearing screaming in the middle of the night as his mother was being assaulted. Oh my god, that's awful. He would often lay in bed and for many years he wished that he had the courage to rush in and save his mother. Oh my god, how helpless. After years of listening to this abuse regularly, Mark would eventually gain the courage to confront his dad in the middle of the night, and he does remember physically pushing him or forcing his father off of his mother. Or at least in his mind. At this point, he's like five or six. That's gotta be, like, really traumatic. Mark would say later in life, quote, I'd wake up hearing my mother screaming my name, and it just scared the fire out of me. I'd run in there, and I just wanted to make him go away. Sometimes I think I actually did try to push him away, end quote. It's a baby. Yeah. So by age seven, Mark's younger sister, Susan, would actually be born, which, again, looking at the timeline, she was likely assaulted while she was pregnant. I doubt 
the dad took off nine months. You know? Yeah, he wasn't just like, oh, okay, like, I'll just, like... I'll just not be upset with you not anymore. Not my dick, yeah, yeah, for nine months. Which is really, really sad. <sighs> Around this time, Mark would begin to obsess about thoughts of shooting his father to save his family from the abuse. Oh, my gosh. And he's, like, seven years old. Yeah. But clearly he has knowledge of what it means to shoot someone. Whether right. Whether he saw it on TV or he saw it with his parents, you know, right. God forbid. Ugh. He began to fantasize about controlling a group of, quote, little people that resided in the walls of his room. Okay. Sounds vaguely similar to our last episode. Yeah, and it, and it <laughs> sounds, I'm sure all the listeners by now have gathered what that means. Potentially schizophrenia disorder? Maybe. Schizophrenia yeah. spectrum? Sure, yeah. Especially if it's abnormal behavior, visual hallucinations, it's something that is not or could be described as imaginative play. Yeah. He would often talk to them and order them around, and of course they would do all of his bidding. He said, quote, I used to fantasize that I was a king, and I had all these little people around me, and that they lived in the walls, and that I was their hero, and I was on their newspaper every day, or I was on their TV every day, and that I was really important. They all kind of worshipped me. You know, it was like I could do no wrong. Sometimes when I'd get mad, I would blow some of them up. I have this push-button thing as part of the sofa. And when I'd get mad, I would blow out part of the wall and a lot of them would die. But the people would still forgive me for that. And, you know, everything would get back to normal. It's just a fantasy I had for many years. End quote. Now that sounds like narcissistic personality disorder because that's like a grandiose sense of self. Like I'm yeah. up here and you're down there. Mm. But that's also really young. It is. Huh. I think it's more of like, you know, this kind of this parallel between being like a king or a god and that's definitely a theme that we'll see later as well and i really do think it is because he you know clearly his dad had a certain type of temperament yeah and he ruled the house it's it's the control thing right yeah and he he probably feels so powerless at home then he like creates this like imaginary world where like he has all the power exactly like all of the power <sighs> that's really sad and it's also really fucking detrimental. Like, that. fuck that dad for, like, doing that. I know. Like, you know, and it really, really just goes to show, like, the nurture versus nature thing. Like, the nurture with that, had he treated his children and his wife appropriately, this, again, it's, we always talk about things that lead up to the horrible crimes. Right. Who knows? Maybe he wouldn't have grown up with that sense of self. He would have grown up being loved and being or an humble. Eagle and Yeah, exactly. His father would give Mark his first musical outlet in the form of a Beatles record, to which Mark listened to as often as he could. His father would also gift him a guitar one year and often had Mark practice on Boy Scout trips, like in, around campfires okay. and stuff. Mark took to playing easily, and it became very natural to him. Mark was inspired by John Lennon and many similar musicians popular at the time. By the time that Mark began high school, he began to be severely bullied. He wasn't an athlete by any means, and he would often be made fun of for his weight and uncoordination. Feeling a lot of social pressure, Mark would start skipping school and abusing drugs. He did this for the first two years of high school, and on one occasion he ran away from home and tried living on the Atlanta streets. However, he would return home just after two weeks. He just really didn't want to be home. Damn. Like, living on the streets is better than being home, in his mind. And he's like... 15, 16 at this time. He's a kid. Poor kid. In his junior year of high school, Mark partook in some LSD, and he would have a terrible trip. Oh, no. The cops were called, and Mark was picked up and put into a jail cell to sober up. David went to pick his son up the next day and became emotional in front of Mark while he expressed his concern for his son's health and behavior. So it's like, you've only ever abused mom in front of me. You've only ever been kind of this tyrant type dude. Well, on occasion, because he was, other than that, he was very soft-spoken, right? Yeah. But now it's all of a sudden, I pick you up and I'm bawling my eyes out. It's a manipulation tactic. It's, oh my God, how could you? I'm so, I feel so bad for you, like, that you're doing this to yourself. How could you do this? Like, it's not, it's never like, wow, maybe my actions caused his reaction it's yeah. always like why did you do that you're disappointing me well it, it could also be that you know the dad just again harbored all of these feelings and then it just came out in another another type of explosion not an anger explosion but like a 
a, a sad, you know, feeling that he had never really expressed before. And he maybe, like, recognized for the first time that, like, what he did was, like, detrimental. Sure, yeah. yeah. I mean, clearly he connected enough with Mark to give him a guitar and, like, want to vibe with him on music. And he was a... He went took him to Boy Scouts, you know, things like that. So it's not like his father wasn't an active participant in Mark's life. He just... is. It's the unpredictability, I think, yeah. is what I'm trying to get at. And he might have... A bipolar disorder or something, something it's that true. it's where where it's very extreme emotions one way or the other. That's very true. That's yeah, a good point. So this was would be the first and only time that Mark would ever see his father cry in wow. his entire life, and it really profoundly affected Mark. Yeah. So this would be around like 1970, 1971. After a falling out with some of the only friends that Mark had at the time, he had actually become extremely depressed. He knew that he only had two choices, which was continuing his life of deep, dark depression or turn to God. Mm. Mark threw himself into religious text and became a born-again Presbyterian. Really? Wow. Yeah. Which is, I mean, I wouldn't say not extreme, but it seemed like they didn't really grow up very religious. And then now it's, but honestly, it's better than the alternative. Oh, of course. Like, he's clearly trying to get some help and write his life. But I feel like we also see that all the time in mm-hmm. cases like this. It's like they either th- they throw themselves into one thing and it's like, okay, clearly like there's a lot on these people's minds, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're thinking about a lot of stuff at the same time. So throwing yourself so deeply into something is almost like a distracting point. Yeah. But the root of the problem is not that you're not religious enough or that you're not ac- academically inclined enough or athletic. It's that there's probably, again, underlying mental illness, and just diving into something like that and distracting your mind is definitely not going to fix what's going on. But I can see why they would think that, maybe. You know, let me just dive into this and distract myself, and maybe I'll find the answers somewhere. I agree with that. It's, you know, you're throwing yourself into something that you feel like is something that everybody considers to be good. Yeah. Instead of something that people consider to be bad behavior, you know, if there's... good, you know, good or bad behavior, he would often take Christian brochures and flyers to school to distribute them among other students. Mm. It would be around this time that Mark began dating his first girlfriend, Jessica Blankenship, which right here I put LOL because of Kenny Blankenship from Most Extreme Elimination Challenge, because that show was fucking hilarious. I have no idea what either of those things are. (gasps) Me and Cameron used to watch it all the time. Oh, really? see? Yeah. Guy LaDouche? Hell yeah. I have to show you that show. You've never seen it? I don't think so. Oh, gosh. Now, finding his path a little bit, Mark also began to work as a cap... Cap? Counselor. (laughs) Also began to work as a camp counselor for a local YMCA. Hmm. Mark thrived here, of course, again, throwing yourself into something that is perceived to be good. Well, also probably in his mind in a position of authority, quote-unquote. That's true, because he did teach kiddos, and all the kids loved him. He was actually that fun, cool counselor who played guitar and listened to, like, really cool music. Like, he's like, oh, he's so into the Beatles. It's so cool. He's so down to earth. They nicknamed him Nemo, like Captain Nemo from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Oh, no. So you like, Captain. Nemo. <laughs> call me the captain. <laughs> call me the, you have to call me the colonel. Call me the colonel. I thought you were talking about Finding Nemo, and I was like, how do they come up with that nickname? Like, what's the comparison? <laughs> no, that's what Nemo's named after, though. Oh, really? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it would make sense. I did not know that. By the following year, he was named assistant director of the camp and won an outstanding counselor award. Oh, I bet he loved that. I'm sure he fucking did. I'm outstanding. It's me. I'm the outstanding counselor. Call me the captain. It's like, and we see that a lot of the times, too, in these cases. Like, I think it was um, BTK or Dennis Rader. You're like, stop fucking giving this guy awards. I know, His head like, is just, like, a thousand miles <laughs> wide. <laughs> he was. He was, like, best neighbor award and, like, all the, all the shit. Best colonel. Best colonel award. The Call chicken me the man. <laughs> <laughs> he also got along very well with the other staff members, so he was known to be, you know, to get along with people. He's just a cool dude. He's just a really cool guy. This is all towards the end of his high school years. So by the end of senior year, Mark had become obsessed with the book The Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger. Obsessed, you say? Obsessed. It was recommended to him by a friend. Mark fell in love with the book and considered himself to be reminiscent of the main character, Holden Caulfield. Oh, fucking course he did. Right? 
I'm the main character. So if anybody's never read Catcher in the Rye, some little tidbits about it. It became a cult classic type book, very popular amongst angsty and rebellious teens, especially in the 70s. It was written in the 40s, I think. Mm -hmm. It talks of depression, being sexually active, and finding one's identity. All high school things. All high school things. (laughs) From the first time that he read it, Mark dedicated himself to living more like Holden. Oh, He's like obsessed with him. (laughs) <laughs> it reminds me of... Um, Why are you so obsessed with me? It reminds me of Richard Trenton Chase when he wanted to be part of that, like, western, like, the, like, the <laughs> bandits, and he, like, taped a picture of himself on the poster with them. Wanted. Dinner live. Oh, God. Oh, shit. Oh. After graduating high school, Mark began attending college, although I'm not sure where because it didn't last long. He went for like a semester, one college, didn't find what it was. I'm sure there's some internet sleuths out there that can figure out where yeah. it was. But either way, Mark took his leave of college and began playing guitar in local Christian shops. Okay. He enjoyed visiting different cities like Chicago and often played Christian music at little local coffee shops and stuff. Chicago. Chicago. Around this time, he began to denounce the Beatles, and especially John Lennon, for his famous quotes around comparing the band and himself to Jesus or God. Especially the famous quote, quote, we're more popular than Jesus. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember Mm -hmm. that. But isn't that what this guy's fucking doing, too? Like, he, so he's mad that someone else is using his idea about, like, trying to be, like, God. Because he's feeling that way about himself. Well, he he did in the past, right? Like, he was, like, playing God with these little people. But then he became became a born-again Christian. Remember, he's very, very serious about it. Oh, so now he's, like, absolutely fucking not. Yeah, he's like, no, absolutely not. You're not more popular jesus and god is like you know they are the almighty the and end all be all yeah so okay. for for john lennon to say something like that was very like like he was offended i'm sure he wasn't the a lot of people one. were offended. <laughs> a lot of people were offended though so he traveled for some time you know writing music and all this other stuff but eventually he enrolled in the same college that jessica was attending his girlfriend covenant college and it was back in georgia mm-hmm so this school was actually an evangelical liberal arts college, which I've never heard of before. Okay. <laughs> evangelical liberal arts. Oxymoron. It sounds like, yeah, a conundrum. <laughs> During his attendance here over the course of the first year, Mark would actually break things off with Jessica when he had admitted to being unfaithful to her, and the guilt became all-consuming. Thou shalt not commit adultery or cheat. Yeah. yeah. That's like, come on. But he's also a traveling musician, and he's, like, really cool. And he got Outstanding Counselor Awards. And <laughs> don't tell me that you're better than God, because you're yeah, not. exactly. But then, I that's what I also don't like, too. Like, you know, no one's fucking perfect, right? Like, I yeah. consider myself, I'm not religious, but I have faith. That's just how I identify. But I'm not going to be like, oh, my God, I am such a born-again, like, really devoted Christian. And then, sin. Yeah, because it's hypocritical. It's exactly, it's exactly, and... And, you know, that's why I don't walk around preaching everything, because I'm not fucking perfect. And I know that I'll probably do something bad again, you know? But I don't like when people, again, do that. They express how devout they are, and then they do something like this. I mean, he did admit it to her. It's not like he kept it a secret. Okay, but doing it in the first place goes against everything that he's preaching. Yeah. I'm just saying. He probably didn't really care as much. That's what I'm I think that's... What I'm trying to say is I think he, similarly to other people we've talked about, I don't really think that they're actually that devout they just need something to to hold on to to hold on to yeah yeah Mm -hmm. mark began to fall behind on his grades and would eventually drop out of college yet again only worsening his deep depression oh god so he did come back to school he went with the intention of going with his girlfriend broke up with her because he cheated on her and then there's no need to go to college just runs away from it yeah exactly mark tried to go to work again at the camp. However, it was short-lived after an altercation between him and another staff member occurred. Okay. So he's already in this depressive state then, you know, dropped out of college again, tried to go back to work, and then was ultimately let go. Probably telling himself over and over, like, you're a failure. Sure. You can't keep a job. You can't stay in school. You can't keep a relationship. Like, all these things. Mark soon applied to become a security guard, and after some training, he was able to carry a service weapon. Oh, my God. Again, law enforcement. <laughs> yeah, law enforcement. Which is gross. gross. <laughs> which is it is gross. gross. <laughs> it's just like, oh, take this 30-minute class. Here's a gun. Yeah, that is gross. Ugh. But, yeah, law enforcement, too. Like, we see that. Like, 
fucking, or does he become the fucking sheriff or something? Yeah, the dean. Becomes the pope. After a huge falling out with his parents, because he was still pretty much living in and out of his parents' house at this point, he was forced to move from the family home, and he actually began sleeping on the streets half of the time, and the other half of the time he was actually staying at the YMCA. When you were, I don't think you can stay at YMCAs anymore, but you used to be able to. I don't think so. Mark was likely at his worst rock bottom when he bought a one-way ticket to Hawaii. He was houseless, kind of working, not really, and then has a weapon, and now he's going to Hawaii. (laughs) Now he's going to Hawaii. (laughs) Okay. Makes sense. I mean, that's exactly what I would do. I don't know about you. Mark, while in a car that he parked in a parking lot, attempted to commit suicide by carbon monoxide poisoning. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he bought a one-way ticket to Hawaii. He didn't want to come back. This is while he was in Hawaii he did this? Like, he immediately went to Hawaii and attempted suicide. I wonder, I mean, just the thought process there. Like, why did he go so far away? I don't know. Maybe because he didn't want his parents to, like, Maybe he didn't want to be found, yeah. Yeah. That's sad. However, the garden hose used to attach the exhaust pipe melted after Mark passed out, which in turn saved his life. So he was, like, committed. Yeah. Like, for sure... And it was like an accident that he did. That he survived. Die. Oh my gosh. A bystander came across Mark in his car and called 911. Mark was transported to the hospital, and although he would recover, he would be admitted to a psychiatric hospital for evaluation. Good. So at the hospital, Mark would be diagnosed with severe depression by a psychiatrist on staff. After his discharge, Mark began to work as a custodial engineer Ooh. within the hospital. Remember we talked about fluffing resumes? That's exactly what I thought about. <laughs> custodial engineer. Good for him, though. While working at the hospital, Mark would find that his mother was actually divorcing his father and that Diane would eventually move to Hawaii to be closer to Mark. Wow. So she just, like, dropped that on him, like, randomly? Yeah, it's kind of like, oh, shit, like, you didn't divorce this piece of shit while we were children, but now yeah. that we're all moved out of the house, go for it. Now you now, fucking come to now terms it's with your, it? Yeah, because you're the only one that's, you know, there Yeah, no, it's with like it. Richard Chase's, I listened yeah. to that episode recently, it's like Richard Chase's parents, like, they waited until the kids were in high school, and they finally fucking decided that they didn't like each other. I'm like, you guys have been at each other's throats since, like, before I was born. <laughs> just rip the band-aid off. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, Diane moved to... Hawaii to be closer to her son. I bet she was like, fuck this, I'm out. I'm, I'm out. You're living in Hawaii, bro? I'm fucking meeting you up there. Let's what go. you doing? <laughs> fuck this piece of shit. In 1978, once Mark saved up a... So in 1978, so this is a few years after he had been working at the hospital, once Mark had saved up quite a bit of money and feeling optimistic and pretty good at this point in his life, he decided to travel the world after being inspired by the movie and book Around the World in 80 Days. Huh. Interesting. The trip was to last six weeks, and he would visit Singapore, Tokyo, Bangkok, Hong Kong, Seoul, New Delhi, Beirut, Geneva, London, Paris, and Dublin. Jesus. In six weeks. Jesus Christ. That's a lot of places. Well, he also <laughs> went from, like... Not having somewhere to live, like, barely making any money, yeah. to, like, now traveling the world, living his best I life. Like, like, that's kind of inspirational. That's kind I'm of like, cool. kind of just want to do that. Yeah. I mean... Also, I didn't mention this earlier, and I'm not sure if it's like this today. Anybody that's listening in Hawaii, please let us know. But when I went, when I was 15, they had... They, we had, like, a tour guide that took us across, like, the whole island. Mm-hmm. And they had, like, their government, if you will, or, like, their community sets up tents in their in their city parks for the homeless oh and it's free like they as opposed to like what we do here like we tear down things like that like they put them up and like they they put up tents in the parks and the parks are fucking beautiful of course and i thought that was really interesting i was like okay like that's at least at least if someone's going to be on the street this tiny sliver of silver lining is that they at least have shelter yeah so i thought that was really really cool that they do that nice i don't know if they do that anymore but they did Born and brewed in Southern California since 1963, the coffee bean and tea leaf has always been passionate about connecting loyal customers with carefully handcrafted products. Their coffee master, Jay Isaias, only selects the top 1% of Arabica beans from the world's best-growing regions, giving customers the best quality products every time. Whether you're looking for a dark roast to liven up your day or a soothing tea to relax into the night, the coffee bean and tea leaf has it all. Click the link in our show notes today to save $15 off your first purchase and get sipping. 
While on this trip, Mark would actually begin seeing his travel agent. Oh. Japanese-American Gloria Abe. Okay. The two would quickly marry oh in June of 1979. How many times have we said that sentence in the I whole love time it. we've been doing this? We should make a t-shirt that says, the two would quickly marry. The two would quickly be married. Oh my gosh. Oh, they always marry so fast. They do. When Mark returned back to work after his trip, he would actually begin working isolated in the printing slash kind of office room. Okay. So he just like made copies and shit. Making copies. Making copies. <laughs> you don't... Okay. I don't know what that's from. Okay. I know it's Rob Schneider. You And I only me. know that because it's a, me all the time. it's a family guy quote, though. It's oh, like, oh, okay, you have to sense. sleep with Rob Schneider tonight. And he's like, making <laughs> copies. And the girl's like, I was born in 1987. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. I don't even know what that's from. But... Making copies. It was, a, it was an SNL skit. Oh, it was. Yeah. So Mark was making copies. Uh, But also while working here, Mark began to, because he was now isolated, instead of being a custodial engineer where he would be walking around the hospital talking to people, he was now isolated in a room all day long. Was his wife living with him or was she still living in... She did move with him. She moved with him. Yes. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I might have missed that. I, I, I think that she probably already lived in Hawaii. Okay. Because it was his travel, I'm sure he went somewhere and she Ooh. advised him or whatever. Okay. Um, I don't, it was unclear whether or not she was on the trip, hmm. but either way. Mark was actually quickly fired for starting an argument with a coworker in this department. Okay. Okay, in the copy thingy or whatever. He started an argument, and after being hired back at the hospital in another department, he would quickly be fired from this position as well. Kind of sounds like that's his, like, MO, is, like, arguing with, you know peers and then getting fired. and then getting fired yeah. so it's, it's just interesting because i wonder if it's similar to the outburst that his dad had yeah where it was he would bottle things in and he'd stew about it and then it would explode one day yeah. and cause an argument between i mean the coworker. honestly like i've argued with plenty of coworkers and not gotten fired over it yeah. so it must have been like an argument worth firing someone I don't over know if i've really i mean may, i've like had my fair share of disagreements i wouldn't say like arguments oh no i'm not like yelling at anyone one, but you know what i mean like no. i've had a lot of disagreements with with well, I can work with anybody. I mean, if you work with somebody all the fucking time, you get kind of comfortable, you yeah. know, to like have disagreements about things. But yeah. he was fired for failing to maintain an amicable workspace. So I'm assuming okay. it's not just one problem with one person. It's true. It probably built up. Yeah. But that was like the kicker. Slowly going into what would be extreme debt at this point because he was having a hard time keeping up with bills. Mark began to mentally deteriorate and spiral, spiral into obsessive thoughts of religion and his extreme hatred for the Beatles and especially John Lennon. Oh. Okay, so we can see where this is going. Okay. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you didn't know who Mark David Chapman is, you, you might know now. I'm getting a little bit of an inkling. He began to read autobiographies of John Lennon and was absolutely infuriated that although John spoke of peace, love, and equality... He was exceptionally rich and lived a lavish lifestyle. I mean, yeah, like, I can understand how that's, like, a little frustrating, but, like, that's all it is. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, cool, like, you want to preach about living minimalistically and you're rich, cool. You know, but, like, it's nothing more than that in my mind. Yeah. Mark would also walk around singing or humming the tune Imagine, often changing the words to Imagine if John Lennon was dead. So you're, like hating on the guy and then like you can't get his song stuck out of your head i feel like he's just obsessed with him and he doesn't want to admit it he is obsessed but like in a very unhealthy way mark would say later quote he told us to imagine no possessions and there he was with millions of dollars and yachts and farms and country estates laughing at people like me who had believed in the lies and bought the records and built a big part of their lives around his music end quote Again, like, I get how that can be frustrating, like, if you want to think that, but it also sounds like he's making a lot of fucking assumptions about John Lennon. Like, he's saying that, oh, maybe he's just sitting over there with his fucking caviar and his silver spoon. Like, how do you know that he's not, like, actively participating and helping these communities that he's talking about? You know, I don't know. Yeah, but, I mean, he's, he has a mental illness, kind of. I know. <laughs> I mean, that's really what it is. I'm like, this makes no sense. This makes no sense. Yeah, because he has a mental illness. It's just, it's just... Yeah, it's just harder for me to go there in my mind because, and I I always think the best of everybody, but, you know. 
Mark would also say, quote, I would listen to this music and I would get angry at him for saying in the song God that he didn't believe in God and that he just believed in him and Yoko and that he didn't believe in the Beatles either. This was just another thing that angered me. Even though this record had been done at least 10 years previously, I wanted to just scream out loud, who does he think he is saying all these things about God and heaven and the Beatles? Saying that he doesn't believe in Jesus and things like that. At that point, my mind was going to a total blackness of anger and rage. So I brought the Lennon book home into this catcher-in-the-rye milieu where my mindset is Holden Caulfield and anti-phoniness, end quote. So it was also part of the catcher-in-the-rye that Holden Caulfield is like this anti-phony, like he doesn't like fake people. And so again, he's obsessed with that. He's obsessed with God. He's obsessed with hating John Lennon. I, I feel like the biggest fucking, like, Gen Z right now, even though I'm not a Gen Z, because I think I just remember that, did John Lennon, like, actually die? <laughs> or is this, like, not gonna... I can't remember if he actually died. <laughs> like, does okay, this so guy Ken- actually kill Kenna doesn't know who Mark David Chapman is, again. <laughs> <laughs> my face is so red, oh my god. Um... Everyone is learning about how ignorant I am about a lot of stuff that goes on in the world. Because I'd just rather not know about it. Like, that sounds terrible. But, like, all of these, like, big events, like... Like, Jay Will was telling me the other day, he's like, oh my god, at the beginning of the H.H. Holmes episode, when you when she said his real name, and you're like, I don't know who that is. I thought it was H.H. Holmes. He was like, Kenna, you fucking dumbass. <laughs> he said he really liked that episode, because it, yeah. it was all three, like, kind of wrapped up. It's like, H.H. Yeah. Holmes, and then whoever Herman Webster Mudgett is, and yeah. then Jack the Ripper. It was fun. Well, was I can't be the only one ever that, like forgot that John Lennon maybe died. I, I, st- I don't still don't maybe even know because you're not telling me. Maybe <laughs> died. go on with the fucking story. Let me finish. Because this is the thing. I don't want to, like, Google right now because I don't want to ruin it for myself, yeah. you know? No, so, don't. Sorry, everyone, but I hope that my silly mind is entertaining and not aggro. <laughs> there's just... A, I mean, there's an eight-year difference between the two of us, you it's know? True. Okay, go. So, Mark didn't just want to harm John Lennon. He actually wanted to retaliate against famous people in general. He made a list of celebrities he disliked or had reasons to harm in order to make a statement. On this list were Paul McCartney, David Bowie, Jackie O, Jackie Onassis, uh, Kennedy's wife, Johnny Carson, Elizabeth Taylor, Ronald Reagan, and George Ariyoshi, which is a Hawaiian governor at the time. Okay. Probably the most telling part of Mark's state of mind is that he began to hear his little people again. Ooh. (laughs) In October 1980, Mark had made up his mind. He traveled to New York and located John Lennon's apartment. No. How did he locate him that easily? Jesus. So, John, Yoko, and Sean Lennon, their five-year-old, all lived in a place called the Dakota. Did you hear me mention the Dakota the other day? Yeah. Isn't that funny that you had said that you'd left that business card at the Dakota or yeah. at Dakota? And I was like, that's so weird. I'm researching a case where somebody lives at an apartment oh. complex called the Dakota. And very famous rich people lived there. Okay. It was like a place where you could easily, it's like Hollywood Boulevard or some that's shit. That's true. Because, you know, I could point out like Tony Parker's old house and like George yeah. Street's yeah. house. Like, I know so this is a really well-known area that papar- paparazzi would hang out to catch celebrities going in and out of their apartments. Okay. It was not a secret. Plus, something like this had never occurred before. After a day or two of mulling over his plans and realizing that he needed ammunition for the gun that he had purchased, because at the time, I don't think you could fly with a gun. Either way, he acquired a gun, but he didn't have ammunition. So he drove to Atlanta to a friend's house to get ammunition. Okay. The friend had no idea of Mark's plans, by the way. He decided not. (laughs) I'd hope not. Mark decided that he would then go home to Hawaii instead. So he left. After returning home, Mark told his wife Gloria of his plan to harm John Lennon and how close he came to harming him. Mm-mm. He relinquished his gun and the ammunition to Gloria. And although Gloria was grateful to Mark for telling her, no police or mental health facilities were notified by Gloria of Mark's plan and his clear need for help. 
She's like, yeah, that's like, don't do that. Oh, no. I'm so glad you're home, honey. Bad. <laughs> so glad you didn't kill a celebrity today. Anyway. <laughs> she did encourage him, however, to reach out to be evaluated, and Mark did set an appointment for evaluation for the following week. Okay, that's a long time. A meeting that Mark would never attend. Of course not. <laughs> On December 6th, 1980, Mark flew back to New York with the intention of throwing himself off the li- Statue of Liberty. What? Yeah, he was just like, I'm going to throw myself off the... Because he used to be able to go all the way to the top. Would you really? Yeah. How would... In the crown. No fucking way. Yeah. I don't know how he would get around it. I'm pretty sure they had pretty high fences, but yeah. Seriously? I'm pretty sure. I was like, is he standing at the top? He's standing on the top of the torch. Like the tiny little top. That'd be insane, because that's like... I don't know how tall that bitch is, but... wouldn't you land in water if you jumped off of it, though? No, it's on an island. Oh. Yeah. You'd... God, I really don't. I'm making myself look stupid over here. <laughs> you saw the island. I've been to New York. Yeah. Like, I was just going to say, we I've saw her. i it. i it. Yeah, but the island looks real tiny from like far away. We from the top of the Empire State Building, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's Ellis Island, right? No. That it's on? Yes, it is. No. That the Statue of Liberty's on? I swear it is. I don't know. School me. The statue is located on Liberty Island, a short ferry ride from America's most famous immigration center, Ellis Island. So I was there we really go. close. <laughs> it's not on Ellis Island, but it's close to Ellis Island. <laughs> yeah, it's close in the scheme of the country. I don't know. <laughs> it says a short ferry ride. Okay, a short ferry boat. You get that. <laughs> Give me that one, please. He would not go through with this plan and, in fact, ran into James Taylor. Oh, Do you know who James Taylor is? I know the name. Okay. Ran into James Taylor on a subway the following day. He grabbed James Taylor, throwing him up against a wall, and began to stumble through a tale of him meeting up with John Lennon to discuss his music career. Okay. Like, he's like, I'm going to meet John Lennon, and we're going to talk about, like, guitars and stuff. I guarantee you, in his mind, he's like, oh, divine intervention. God put this celebrity right in front of me so I can do harm. Yes. Who is connected to, like, Lennon somehow. Jesus. Taylor said about the instance, quote, the guy had sort of pinned me up against a wall and was glistening with maniacal sweat. Oh, my God. What a sentence. (laughs) (laughs) And talking some freak speak about how he was going to do all this stuff, how John was interested and he was going to get in touch with John Lennon, end quote. I'm so sorry. Freak speak. Terrible. Glistening with maniacal sweat. <laughs> is this guy a poet? <laughs> yes, yeah, he's a fucking songwriter. Of course he is. Never mind. You don't know who James Taylor is. I know the it's name. Okay. It's okay. I'm gonna make fun of you. I'm sorry. I feel like super embarrassed. Okay. This is why I have like the mental illnesses that I have because my whole life I have felt dumb because I've been the youngest. No, no, I'm it's something saying. like that. Honestly, I, th- I feel like this is one of the only cases we've done that is so like, entrenched in pop culture for the time. So it makes sense. And I, you know I don't watch, like, movies or fucking tea. I'm not woke on shit like that. Like yeah. Pop culture. I'm just really not. I promise I'm smart. I'm Glistening smart with maniacal promise. sweat. That is... I'll that's, never forget that. That's a hell of a fucking phrase. Freak speak. The next day, on December 8th, Mark left his New York hotel room, leaving almost all of his possessions behind. The only thing that he took with him was John's latest record, Double Fantasy, a copy of The Catcher in the Rye, in which he wrote, quote, this is my statement, and signed it, Holden Caulfield, and a thirty-eight caliber handgun. Jesus. He's also buying, like, John Lennon's, like, music and stuff, like, contributing to his wealth, and then bitching about the fact that he's, like, rich and famous. Well, it's all wrapped up in this, you know, like, he's still a fan kind of a thing. Yeah. Like, also, yeah. By early afternoon... Mark was outside of John Lennon's apartment, which he shared with his wife, Yoko, and their five-year-old son, Sean. Sean Lennon is fucking bae, by the is way. Is he? I want to look oh, him up. I think he's bae. Is it spelled like Sean or is it like scene? Scene. You're probably like, yeah, you would. <laughs> this makes so much sense. Not your type. <laughs> hey, at least we know we'll never steal each other's men. It's true. <laughs> Mark was chatting with other fans that had kind of gathered to take photos around the famous Dakota apartments when he missed John and Yoko walking from a cab into their apartment. Hanging around for the couple to appear again, Mark would spot John's housekeeper walking five-year-old Sean Lennon home Mm -mm. after the two were out for the day. 
Mark took the opportunity to introduce himself, bending down to shake the young man's hand, calling him Beautiful Boy, which was in reference to John and Yoko's song, Beautiful Boy, which was written for their son, Sean. Oh my god. If you read the lyrics, I bawled my eyes out listening to those lyrics. It is all about, like, daddy's always going to protect you, daddy's always going to be home, like, I'll always kiss you goodnight every night, like... It's just, it's really fucking sad. Break my heart into, like, a thousand pieces. Right? The housekeeper and Sean went inside the apartment. He did not harm Sean. But it's still fucking creepy. That's terrifying. Imagine knowing that as Sean, like, later on. Yeah. I mean, I know he does, but... Around 5 p.m., John and Yoko headed downstairs to hop into a limo that was headed for a recording studio. Mark approached the couple and asked John to sign the album that he brought with him. Mark said, He was very kind to me. Ironically, very kind, and very patient with me. The limousine was waiting, and he took his time with me. He got a pen, going, and signed my album. He asked if I needed anything else, and I said, no, no, sir. And he walked away. Very cordial and decent man, end quote. Okay. I hate that. At this very time, a photo was actually snapped of the two standing next to each other by a local photographer. Have you seen the picture? You want to see it? That's really eerie. It's like BTK and fucking... What's her name? First Lady Rosenberg or whatever. Yes, Rosenberg. (laughs) Rosenberg. Tis Rosenberg. Oh, I've seen that photo. Yeah. So that's Mark David Chapman and that's John Lennon as he's signing the album. God, that's fucking disgusting. And then like... Just like mere hours. And then, like, he knows, like, what he's planning on doing. Yeah. And he's like, He went there with that intention. The couple got into the limousine as Mark Chapman waited on the sidewalk. He would wait almost six hours. And at 10.50, John and Yoko arrived back at the Dakota. The couple got out of the limo and began to make their way up to the entrance of the building, passing Mark on their way by. I bet he was like, what the fuck are you still doing here? Like, in his mind. Probably. Mark produced a thirty-eight pistol and began firing towards John. John was struck four times in the back. Oh. One bullet struck John in the neck, severing his aorta. Oh my gosh. Mark was immediately disarmed by a, the doorman of the Dakota, and a bystander quickly began to tend to John's injuries. Another bystander yelled at Mark, Do you know what you just did? To which Mark replied, I just shot John Lennon. Ooh, ooh, I don't like that. I didn't even like saying it. <laughs> Mark calmly stayed at the scene, pulled out a copy of The Catcher in the Rye, and began to read it. Oh my, fuck How you. fucking poetic, right? Police arrived at the scene first and quickly determined that John was in critical condition. So without hesitation, they placed, them into a, placed him into a squad car and rushed him to the nearest hospital. Oh my. He would succumb to his injuries just 25 minutes after the shooting. Oh my god, that's awful. He was only 40. Jesus. And his son was, like, right inside. Right inside. And his wife was right next and to Yoko him. And Yoko was there. Yeah. She never left his side either. Oh, that just gave me the heaps. <sighs> Mark Chapman was taken into custody without incident. He would tell police officers, quote, The big part of me is Holden Caulfield. The small part of me must be the devil. Fuck you. That's not take. That's literally him not taking accountability for what he fucking did. Mark Chapman did. Oh, it wasn't me. It was Patricia. It, <laughs> like Patricia. It like that's exactly what he's doing by saying that. And it must be the devil. The devil made me do it. Fuck you. I'm sorry. I know he's like severely mentally ill, but that like makes he me is. mad. He is severely mentally ill. Chapman was charged with second-degree murder. Not really sure why not first, although at this time, premeditation was not grounds for first-degree murder. Okay, that makes sense. He clearly wanted to commit this crime, right? They probably thought it was an impulsive act. (laughs) Well, yeah. Chapman was evaluated by 12 different psychologists, some for each defense and prosecution, and some for the courts. Mm. It was determined that most agreed that he had a psychosis... And that he was on the schizophrenic spectrum, but at this time, they called it paranoid schizophrenia. Yeah. They also determined that his condition was worsened by the president... President? <laughs> Probably. By the president. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. 
They also determined that his condition was worsened by the presence of various personality disorders. So it was comorbidity wow. there. Well, yeah, the grandiose n- narcissistic is what narcissistic? I was thinking earlier. Yeah. Damn, I'm good. The defense suggested that Mark plead not guilty by reason of insanity, to mm-hmm. which Mark denied their requests, and he did plead guilty. Of course he did. He said that it was God's and- will for him to commit this crime, and that he didn't want to be considered crazy. Okay. How do you feel about that? I feel that his defense attorney should have said, listen, buddy, you need to do this plea. Like, don't give him a choice, like, to plead one way or the other. Because if he is legitimately criminally insane, then he doesn't know what it means to plead guilty and take the charge for that. I agree. I absolutely agree. Chapman would, again, be found guilty after his plea. He was sentenced to 20 years to life and ordered to go through psychiatric treatment while in prison. Wow. Chapman was housed at Attica and refused to eat for 26 days after his incarceration began. Oh my gosh, it's dangerous as fuck. He did agree after a while to consume liquid forms of nutrients. Yeah. So, dude's like fucking getting smoothies and shit. At what point do you like force feed someone? I don't know. Because, like, do you just, like, how do you sedate them? You sedate them and then feed them? I guess. Put a feeding tube in? No, because then they can harm themselves like that, you know? They can give themselves infections. I don't know. He was almost always in solitary confinement because staff was concerned that in Gen Pop he would probably be at risk of being yeah. harmed. A bunch of fucking John Lennon fans up in that bitch. Fuck yeah. <laughs> bunch of fucking Beatles fans. Don't you know every person in prison is a John Lennon fan? <laughs> He worked in the kitchen sometimes, and he also worked as a legal clerk. His first parole hearing was in 2000, when he stated that if he were to be out, he would immediately look for work and go from church to church telling his testimony in order to lead people to Christ. Until he relapsed on his mental disorder and decided to kill Paul McCartney or something. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I'm surprised he didn't... Not surprised, but... It's interesting to me that he didn't try to shoot the wife as well. But then again, I don't think he really cared about witnesses or anything like that. Yeah. His main target was, was and that's Lennon. all he cared about. Yeah. Was I'm Lennon. surprised she wasn't strike, struck at all. By accident, yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. he was clearly standing behind her. Yeah. In May 2012, Chapman was moved from Attica to, I guess it's Wade Correctional Facility. Gloria would often visit her husband and stayed by him even after his sentencing and they were actually approved for conjugal visits in 2014. Ew. The couple get 44 hours alone together every conjugal visit. That's a long fucking time! So they stay in, like, this little prison makeshift, like, apartment where, like, they can still be monitored, kind of. That's but they get... wild. Yeah. Isn't that? That that was allowed. Still allowed. Chapman has been interviewed multiple times throughout the years. He's actually been interviewed by the likes of Larry King and Barbara Walters. Baba. 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 Baba Waters. Baba Waters. I'm Baba Waters. Oh my god, Bob Waters, what are we hitting the witty right now? <laughs> Chapman says about the murder of John Lennon, quote, It wasn't all totally cold-blooded, but most of it was. I did try to tell myself to leave. I've got the album, take it home, show my wife, everything will be fine. But I was so compelled to commit that murder that nothing would have dragged me away from that building. End quote. Chapman spoke to a parole board once about Lennon's murder, calling it, quote, my big answer to everything. I wasn't going to be a nobody anymore. I am not going to blame anything else or anybody else for bringing me there. I knew what I was doing, and I knew that it was evil. I knew it was wrong, but I wanted the fame so much that I was willing to give anything and everything to take a human life. This was evil in my heart. I wanted to be somebody, and nobody was going to stop that. End quote. I don't know if I buy the whole, I thought about leaving. You stood there for six hours after meeting the guy and still did it. That yeah. way you had six, if anything, you had way longer than that to change your mind. But when it comes down to it, you had six fucking hours by yourself standing yeah. outside his house to, to turn around and you didn't. I don't buy that. I was just going to bring the album home to my wife and then call it a day. No, and then her do nothing. He says that he also resents Gloria for not saying anything when she had the opportunity. That is not her fucking fault. And that is so rude of him to say that. It's not her fault. I mean, well, I, I we agree. did talk about the fact that schizophrenia spectrum, somebody might not know that they have it. You're completely right. And I agree. 
that she should have said something. I don't agree with him saying. I feel like that's a cop out. It's again, it's not like, taking accountability. Yeah, it's, that it's her fault. For well, not she, doing she didn't something. fucking. It's like a. It's like Samuel Little. Well, the police department fucking sucks. That's why I kept killing. Because you know, if they're not going to catch me, I'm just going to keep doing it. It's their fault for not catching me sooner. Like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's your fucking fault for killing ninety three people. Yeah. In 2022, Chapman was moved to the Green Haven Correctional Facility. Chapman has been denied parole 12 times. Oh, my God. And his next hearing will be in 10 months. What? February 2024. He's still alive? Yikes on bikes. And he has gone to every single parole hearing. He wants to be heard every time. I don't know if they're going to release him. That's 12 times. This will be 13. Has he had psych- psychiatric help this whole time he's been incarcerated? Yes. That's part of his condition. He's like, look, I'm better. I'm, yeah. I, I think him saying, like, all these things, like, I knew it was evil, it was my answer to everything, like, all these things that he said is him trying to take accountability for his actions. However, he hasn't been really interviewed since Baba Wawa. In, <laughs> in uh, I think it was 92 or something. I... Other than that, it's just been parole hearings where he has essentially tried to, again, like I said, take accountability for his actions. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that, like, there's, let me, let me say this. There's no way in fuck he would be able to live a normal life. That's exactly what I was going to say. I think if he got released, he would be killed by the people. He killed John Lennon. Yeah, I think that, I seriously think he would someone else would would try to be vigilante and probably yeah. harm him harm he, him he would have to go into like witness pr- not witness protection protective custody, but protective custody of some kind it's just it'll never happen yeah it'll never happen especially because part of it is that he is getting the help he requires exactly right now and i don't think a jury would and when they do parole hearings is it a jury or is it it's just like a, a judge? it's a, like a parole hearing like a a panel of people i think and but victim statements and things in certain cases like this, I think that the people that would determine whether or not he is out, like, would think that they, they are taking too much of a risk letting him out. Because mm-hmm. I feel like they would fear that, he, again, he would be targeted being yeah. out. Wow. What a I case, feel, right? I feel ignorant. I feel educated. Okay, good. But <laughs> I don't know, like, here's the thing. Like, I learn things, and then I forget them. Like, mm-hmm. there is no way that at one point in my life I didn't know that John Lee <laughs> fucking died. Mm-hmm. But, like, I, just, I have such a bad memory, and I don't know if it's, like, me, like, subconsciously, like, not needing to remember things like mm-hmm. that, or not caring to remember things like that. I yeah. don't know, but I didn't, it really didn't even dawn on me until you said John Lennon's name, like, four times that this was that You're case. Like, I was wait like, a wait minute. a second, did John Lennon die? Like, I was thinking in my <laughs> head the whole time, I was like, did John Lennon die? God, that's really crazy, though. Yeah, I think, um, I know Paul McCartney's still alive, and I think Ringo is. yeah. Well, I saw Ringo. Paul McCartney um, a couple of years ago at ACL when I, I didn't go, but I worked <gasps> and bartended and he played on like the main stage. But yeah, that's a really great, that was a really great case. I um, didn't know, like, if I had remembered that John Lennon got killed, I wouldn't have known, obviously, all about the perpetrator. So yeah. thanks for bringing that one. I know that you said that you had been excited about it and you were ready to tell me, so... Especially talking about uh, the the latest episode about Age of Onset with schizophrenia. Yeah. It was really interesting to go through this and being like, wow, like, there it is. Definitely. You know, there's, there's something that's linked to that. Definitely. Yeah. Good. I'm glad that you brought that. That was a really great case. Yeah. Yoko never got remarried. Oh, She's so... never been remarried. And I think Sean's, like, 47 now. Dang. Well, you know? at least they have each other, honestly. Yeah. I hope you guys enjoyed that case. That was really That was an awesome. interesting one. I didn't feel like there was really all that much research. I feel like it was pretty cut and dry. But I was really, you know, just again, just the banter in general is always a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, of course. And uh, thanks for bearing with me, guys, when I don't know everything. I'm not perfect. And I'm also younger than Coel, And so she has a lot more knowledge than I do. And I'm sure there was listeners as well that didn't know the whole story, just like of course. moi. Yeah. So we all learned something together today. Next Monday, I have a mental breakdown coming out, and then I have a really interesting case next Thursday, and it's going to be something unlike anything we've ever done, and I I always try to do that. (laughs) I try to pull from different, you know, Mm -hmm. genres and different, you know, MOs and stuff because I always want to keep you guys on your toes, but something very, very interesting is coming y'all's way. Well, every brain is different. Every individual is different. So, you exactly. know. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, every case is different every either case, way, even exactly. if they have the same MO. Right. 
But yeah, in the meantime, while you're waiting for that mental breaky, you guys can follow us on any social media. Make sure to get your tickets for the True Crime Paranormal Podcast Festival. Uh, with our code, you get 15% off, and that is D-A-K-P-O-D, just as a reminder. Yeah. Check out DiagnosingAKiller.com. Check out our Red Bubble. There should be a link uh, to our merch and our Red Bubble site through our website. Thanks for looking at it. I worked really hard on it. Yeah, and keep reviewing us, guys. I want to see some more reviews coming through. I yeah. feel like we only have, like, 18, but we have, like, 1,200 followers yeah. on Insta. So give us a review. And that's just on Apple Podcasts. We probably have more reviews than mm-hmm. that. But I know a lot of people listen to us on Spotify. But, yeah, thank you guys uh, for sticking with us for another episode, and we will see you on Monday. Yep. Love, Love you. you. Bye. Bye. Featured in Vogue, Forbes, and more, Alarez has the most beautiful and expertly crafted diamond jewelry for that special someone in your life. From engagement rings, pendants, and earrings, you're sure to find the perfect gift that expresses exactly how you feel. Click the link in the show notes to receive $10 off your first order plus free shipping. Alarez, fitting all of your jewelry needs from A to Z.